0: Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. How's everyone this morning? Good. It's good to see everyone. I'm glad to be here with you this morning and just to worship with you. Um, And sing with you, and so uh, my name is Alan, I'm one of the pastors here, so if this is your first time at Grace Hill, I just want to welcome you, and I'd love to be able to meet you after the service. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Psalm 96, Psalm 96. So if you're not very familiar with the Bible, you'll find Psalms somewhere in the middle. Just look in the middle and you'll find Psalms, and go to the 96th chapter. We'll read that together um, in just a few minutes. And um, as always, you can use a Bible app here. That's perfectly fine. Uh, The verses will be on the screen behind me uh, as well uh, if you just want to use our screen as well. Um, You know, I'm not sure about you um, or if you're even aware of this, but this past Wednesday, which was March 13th, 2019, uh, was a tough day for a lot of people. It will actually soon be a day that is forgotten. Because last Wednesday, both Facebook and Instagram went down for the entire day. It was impossible to post or share anything on these two platforms. So you can imagine the hysteria. I mean, whole businesses now operate on these platforms. And so because people's main outlet for sharing all of their photos and all of their feelings throughout the day was shut down, a lot of people went to the only other social media outlet they had, and that was Twitter. And so I want you to listen to some of these tweets of people despairing over having a day without Facebook and Instagram. One person tweeted, thoughts and prayers for all the toddlers whose March 13th, 2019 will be a blank in their meticulously recorded life. One person tweeted, I ate two meals, Instagram, and I was not able to post them. My fans are going to think I'm starving. One person said, So this is what it feels like when Instagram and Facebook give themselves up for Lent. And finally, my favorite, just bear with me. One person said, Oh man, there's going to be so many babies born in nine months. Hashtag Instagram blackout 2019. You know, it's fascinating how social media has really changed our culture, where everything we do now, we have this impulse to share it with the world. You know, as I was preparing my sermon this week, I just decided to go look at my photo reel on my phone, and I saw that seven times since the beginning of 2019, so it's only been two and a half months, Seven times I have taken my phone out and taken a picture of my meal (laughs) in order to share it with people. Seven times. I mean, you would never imagine doing that 10 years ago. As many of you know, my wife and I, were foster parents. And so last year, we fostered a little girl for about six months. And so this past week, we had the opportunity to babysit her for several hours one day. And I asked my wife, hey, how many photos and videos did you take of just those few hours? And she said... Well, it looks like I have over 50 videos and photos from just those few hours. So if we're part of anything funny, anything significant, anything cute, whatever it is, we have this automatic reaction to pull the phone out and begin to capture it. Now... This would obviously be an interesting study on how internet and phone addiction is influencing our culture, no doubt. We do have a problem of knowing how to just be present and and in the moment. And sure, I think our our phones are hurting us in that way. But this is not all bad. Because I do think there is a correlation between how God created us and how popular and all-consuming social media is. Has become. Right? Every single human being is wired to pursue joy and then to share that joy with others. Every human being is wired to do that. He he wants us, God wants us as his creation to be joyful people, and that joy is multiplied in God's design when we can share that with other people. And so social media at its best, right, cameras in our pocket at their best, just gives us an easier and more robust platform to share with others what is giving us joy in a moment. We are wired to share joy with other people, right? If if you see an incredible movie, you go to the movies and you love it, you're naturally gonna share that with people in the office or with your family or your friends, right? Man, this, this movie was awesome, you have to go see it. It's, it's just, it's natural. Or if the sports team you follow has a dramatic win, buzzer beater shot, right? You're naturally gonna express that joy to others. Or if your child does something amazing, you accomplish something at work, you, you see something and it just makes you laugh. You know how many times Nick comes into my office with a new meme he saw that made him laugh? Right? We just have this natural desire to share these things with other people. It's built into us. And this universal human behavior of ours, I think that we all have, it's incredibly important to the sermon series that we started last week called Joy Over One. Uh, Last week, we talked about how there is more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's Luke 15. And, And I said that I'm not content with being a church that does not have the opportunity to celebrate often, often along with heaven because we're not seeing people come to Christ or surrender their lives for the first time here. And I don't think Jesus is content with that either because he tells us, this is what we studied last week in, in Matthew 4, that half of what it means to even follow Jesus is to be engaged in the work of, of making new disciples, spreading the good news of the gospel to people who do not know Christ. But oftentimes what can happen when we begin to have this conversation about Jesus calling our lives to be missionaries, about Jesus calling our lives to speak the gospel with our mouths because the gospel is a message to be preached, when we begin to talk about Jesus calling our lives to be engaged in that, in evangelism, what can happen is we can begin to feel pressure to do something that we don't wanna do. We feel guilt because a good Christian ought to share the gospel with people. Or We feel shame because we know we're not the Christian maybe we ought to be. Or we can feel intimidated because we're afraid of offending someone or we're afraid of getting challenged and not knowing really how to answer that challenge. Or we're afraid just of having an awkward moment. Nobody likes awkwardness. But maybe our biggest hang up is when it comes to this idea of sharing my faith, speaking the gospel to another person, it kind of really forces me to to answer the question, do I really believe this? Do I believe this enough to be a spokesman for it? But here's what I want all of us to get this morning. The Bible's vision when it comes to personal evangelism, sharing the message of the gospel with other people, the Bible's vision is not one of fear, it's not one of awkwardness, and listen, it is not one of being motivated by religious guilt. The Bible's vision of personal evangelism is one where in the overflow of the joy that we have found in being reconciled to God in and through Christ, we naturally proclaim, we we naturally herald, speak with our mouths the joy that we have found in Christ and, and share that with others. Because we've been created to pursue joy and to want to share that joy with other people. And so this morning, what I want us to do is spend some time in Psalm 96, because I think we're gonna see this in Psalm 96 uh, this morning, that the proclamation and the sharing of the gospel is a natural outflow of the joy that we have received in the gospel. And so get Psalm 96. I'm gonna read the first three verses for us here. And then we'll talk about it. So Psalm 96, starting in verse one, says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. So as we read Psalm 96 together, what I want you to get from Psalm 96, I have four points for you that I want all of us to get out of Psalm 96. So here's point number one that's from these first three verses. Point one is this. Evangelism fueled by authentic joy is not weird. That's point one. Evangelism fueled by authentic joy is not weird. In this psalm, here in 96, you can see how the verses flow from a call to worship God to a call to begin to tell the whole world about what God has done. And these are commands given by the psalmist. But it's almost as if the psalmist is assuming that the reader agrees with him. That as the psalmist says, Give glory to God, sing to God, that the reader is saying, amen, let's praise God. And as the psalmist says, tell of what God has done to everyone that you see that the reader is saying, yes, let's go and tell the world about the goodness of God, the salvation of God. So this is authentic joy in God followed by an authentic response of sharing that joy with others. It's a very human thing to do. You know, we live in a culture that is more and more post-Christian, and what that means is that it's no longer safe to assume that all of your neighbors are familiar with Christianity or friendly with Christianity. It used to be that most people in our culture identified as Christian, but now we're seeing a shift in that. We're increasingly seeing that more and more people are now identifying themselves as nuns, not n-u-n. N-O-N-E, nuns, meaning that when they take a survey that asks them what, who they affiliate with when it comes to a religion, they check the box, none. It doesn't necessarily mean they're atheists or they don't maybe believe in a God, but they don't affiliate with Christianity for sure or any other religion. And one of the reasons that we're seeing this cultural and religious shift in our country is because we're seeing a shift in generational values. Older generations that grew up during the Cold War or had parents or grandparents that experienced the Great Depression and World War II, these are generations that largely valued stability, security, hard work, and this contributed to a more acceptance of religion. But younger generations today have grown up in relatively peace and prosperity for the most part. And so what we're seeing younger generations value more is life experience, authenticity. And so one of the things that we're seeing is a decline in, I'm sorry, we're not seeing a decline in convictional Christianity. What we're seeing is a decline in cultural Christianity. Right, Since we value authenticity, people are saying, I'm not going to affiliate myself with a religion that I don't authentically believe in. I'm just not going to do that anymore. So the social reality of Christianity is it's declining. And here's why this is important. Evangelism, fueled by authentic joy, is not weird. People might think what you believe is weird. People might think your lifestyle is weird. They may not like your message, but if your motivation to share the gospel comes from an authentic place of joy, the fact that you would share that is not weird in this culture, because the culture values authenticity. It's very normal for someone to share with others what gives them joy. I really believe, I really believe this, that most of the time when us as Christians are afraid of sharing our faith or we feel like it's gonna be awkward or we're making the other person feel awkward, that we are the ones that feel that and the people we're sharing with don't feel that. We are the ones who are assuming that they don't wanna listen or they don't wanna have this conversation. But there's a deeper reason why evangelism fueled by authentic joy is not weird. And that's point two. So here's point number two. Authentic joy in the gospel will produce compassion for the lost. Look at verses four to nine in our psalm. The psalmist says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, little g, gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. And so then the psalmist begins to invite the peoples to give glory to God. He says, "Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts." Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Here in Psalm 96, there is a reason given by the psalmist as to why we should praise God and why we should tell everyone about God. And that reason is because he is the God of salvation and all the other gods Are worthless. Now, the psalmist mentions other gods here, little g gods here. But the psalmist, he's not some polytheist who's saying, you know, there's all these gods out there, but our god's the best god, all the other gods, they're just worthless little gods. That's not what he's saying. What the psalmist is saying is that whatever it is that the world is worshiping is no god at all. In fact, it's actually a worthless idol. One thing you need to understand is that every single human being worships. We are worshiping people. In fact, we probably worship many things. Uh, Here's how I like to explain what it means to worship. You know, sometimes we just kind of view worship as singing songs in church on Sunday. But when it comes to our hearts, here's how I like to define worship. I think you worship something when you put your hope in something. That's worshiping, when you put your hope in it. Right, so think about it. Let's pretend we are an ancient civilization, and we did worship idols in the way that we typically think of worshiping idols. We have a little carved statue sitting on the shelf, and we worship this Statue, And and maybe we bow to it. Maybe we recite something to it. Maybe we do some ritual dance or whatever it is. But we're doing all of that because we're hoping this idol will, I don't know, bring rain to water the crops. Like many ancient civilizations would do. What, What are we doing? We are putting our hope in this statue, this idol, that it would provide for us in some way. That's worship. I'm putting my hope in it. That's what it means to worship. And so if, if this is a good way to define worship, then this means that all of us worship many things because we put our hope in many things. Right? It's easy to put our hope in money. And when we put our hope in money, money becomes the object of our worship. So what's the ritual? Well, We'll think about it more than anything else. We'll work harder than anything else in order to get it. We will sacrifice a whole lot in order to get it. We will compromise our integrity for it. We'll spend less time with our spouse and our kids to get more of it. We daydream about what it would be like to have more of it, right? That's worship. That's the, the ritualistic, that's the liturgy of worshiping money. So, so think about it. That's the kind of place God wants in our life. He wants to be the one we hope in. He wants to be the one that consumes our mind and our daydreams. He wants to be the one that we will sacrifice all for. He he wants to be the one that we'll see as above any other relationship that we have. That's the place God wants in our life because He wants to be our hope. That's worship. It's easy to put our hope in a romantic relationship. We'll drop everything for it, sacrifice all for it. Our minds will be consumed by it. It's easy to put our hope in a diet or exercise program, right? We dream of the good life that we'll have once we achieve whatever vision of our body we want. We'll obsess on the internet over it. We'll spend a ton of money to get it, right? It's it's just worship. It doesn't mean any of those things are bad. But when it's what we're putting our hope in, that's worship. worship. And God wants that place. And the Bible tells us that what happened at the fall, back in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, is that we all stopped worshiping God and we began to worship the things that God created. That's what Romans 1.25 tells us. Romans 1.25, it says this, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. The truth about God, that God is the one that we need to put our hope in. God is the one who can truly provide for us. God is the one who is our creator. He is the one who deserves our worship and praise. But we exchange that truth for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature. The things that God created. Rather than the creator himself. And so look at Psalm 96, 4 and 5 with me again. It says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, above everything else that we might worship in our life. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Everything that we put our hope in, everything that our neighbors are putting their hope in, it's worthless. Meaning, insufficient, not able to deliver what they are promising or what we're hoping they will deliver to us. Another way to put it, everyone who worships these idols, these other little G gods, they have been duped. In the same way that the world would scoff at someone for worshiping a piece of carved wood, because we know it's worthless, you're worshiping a piece of wood, right? In the same way that we would say that, that's how the Bible talks about anything else we worship outside of God himself. It's worthless. We hope that this idol will give us lasting joy and purpose, and it has absolutely no ability to do that for us. It is, as the Bible would describe them, impotent. And the reason authentic joy in the gospel will produce compassion for the lost in us is because we have tasted the bitterness of these idols in comparison to the one true God. We know these idols will never deliver what they promise. But the more we pursue them, the more they lure us in to brokenness. And we know that only in Christ, only in Christ can we be forgiven of that idolatry of worshiping other things than God. And only in Christ can we begin to discover who God created us to be and the purpose that he has in our lives and what true joy really is in this life. Only in Christ can our eyes be opened to that truth. And then we begin to see those around us who do not know Christ. We begin to see all that they're putting their hope in. All that they hope will, will bring them joy. And we don't judge them for it. We've been there, we've done it. We still drift into it. But we now know that those things that they are chasing, those things they're putting their hope in, it's worthless. It won't do a thing for them. And so compassion floods in our hearts, right? Not judgment. And the only way we know how to act on this compassion is to tell of the God of salvation, to tell them of the one person that can deliver them from that, to tell them of the gospel. That's the only way we can act in this compassion for them is to tell them about Jesus. And listen, as we said before, it's, it's not weird if our evangelism is fueled by authentic joy. And one of the reasons for that is because authentic joy in Christ will produce compassion, not judgment for the lost. And people know when we are sharing out of compassion versus when we're sharing out of some different agenda. And that leads to point number three. Point number three is this. Evangelism fueled by religious guilt is weird. Evangelism fueled by religious guilt is weird. Look at verses 10 to 13 with me Psalm 96. It says, say among the nations, say among all the world, the Lord reigns. He is to be worshiped. The world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. See, in these last verses in Psalm 96, the author gives us an even greater reason to have compassion on the lost and to have an urgency behind telling them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is going to be a day of judgment. Everyone will stand before God and God will judge everyone with equity. No backroom deals. No people earning God's favor more than others. With equity, he judges all people. He will not be moved. It will not be changed. It has been established. This is a reality for every single person. There's no one that can do anything about it. And for the one who is reconciled to God through Christ, that the blood of Jesus has been credited to them, It's cleansed them of their sins, and the life of Jesus has now been given to them, they've been promised eternal life for that person this day that God returns and he judges all the peoples, that will be a glorious and good day. But for those who do not know Christ, they have not trusted upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, that will be a terrible day. And so the psalmist says, verse two, Tell of his salvation from day to day. Verse three, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works. Tell of what he has done in and through Jesus Christ to all the peoples. Verse seven, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns, tell them of this reality. And finally, he gives this vision in verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. See, the clear motivation behind the call in Psalm 96 to tell everyone about the salvation of God is the glory of God and compassion for those that we're sharing with. That's the motivation. It's God deserves to be praised. Everyone on the earth should praise God because he is our creator and also Compassion for those that we are sharing with. But when I share the gospel with people out of religious guilt, meaning I'm sharing because I'm want people in my church to be impressed with me. I'm sharing because I'm afraid people are going to think differently about me in the church if I don't share. Or I'm sharing because I don't think God will accept me or approve of me if I don't share. That almost like my salvation is dependent upon me being this great evangelist. When we share from those kinds of motivations, What you'll notice is that those motivations have nothing to do with the glory of God and nothing to do with compassion for the lost. It has everything to do with me, my glory and my fate. And people can sniff that out a mile away because it's weird, it's disingenuous. It doesn't feel like you really believe what you're sharing. It's It's a worthless idol. And the Bible not once gives us a vision of sharing the glory of God and the good news of Jesus Christ out of some petty religious test of fortitude. We don't get that vision in the Bible. The Bible assumes that our evangelism is springing forth from an overflowing well of joy and compassion in our hearts. But I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Alan, amen, brother. I completely agree with you. I completely agree that we should not be sharing the gospel with people unless it really is coming from our hearts. Unless we're really moved and our hearts are fully in it. We shouldn't be doing that. Right? This is why I struggle with sharing my faith because I don't think I should be focused on sharing my faith right now because my hearts it's really not there. I don't feel that overflowing joy. And so what I need to do is not be worried about sharing the gospel. What I need to do is be worrying about growing this joy in my heart. And then once I get there, then it would be appropriate for me to begin to share the gospel. And this is why we need our last four. Point, point four. Point number four is this, obedience postures the heart for joy. Obedience postures the heart for joy. In Psalm 96, we are commanded to worship God, and we are commanded to tell of his salvation. And there are times when our hearts are not in it. And during those times, our obedience can posture our heart to be all in. Our obedience can put our hearts in a place where it can begin to overflow with that joy. Our obedience is actually how we begin to grow that joy. You go, wait, 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 didn't you just say that's weird? Or didn't you just say that if we share our faith and our hearts aren't in it, that it's weird if we do that? And no, that's not what I said at all. What I said was sharing your faith out of religious guilt is weird. Because religious guilt has nothing to do with the glory of God and compassion for the one that we're sharing with. It has everything to do with you, but obedience is not religious guilt. Obedience is saying, God, I believe you're good. I believe you are the creator. I believe you deserve to be worshiped and praised above everything else in this world. I believe that with every bit of my being. And God, I see the people of the world who are worshiping worthless idols, and I do have compassion on them. And I wish they could see the goodness of your grace and they could taste the joy that only comes in and through Christ. I see those two things, but God, my heart is afraid. My heart is anxious. I'm tempted to give into this worthless idol of comfort instead of trust you, the true God of salvation. right now my heart just feels selfish and so I'm going to step out in obedience brothers and sisters you better believe that this kind of obedience to God even when our hearts are not all the way in it it does give God glory and it is putting the person you are sharing with above yourself and that's not weird That will posture your heart for unbelievable joy. I really believe that one of the reasons we don't experience this kind of overflowing joy in our life that leads to a natural sharing of the gospel is because we don't posture our hearts into that position. We're just waiting for it to naturally happen. Obedience postures the heart for joy. And this is why for the remainder of our series that we're doing now, Joy Over One, that we're gonna be doing between now and, and Easter, I wanna call on every single person who considers Graceville Church to be their church home to step out in obedience and posture your heart for joy. I want you to be proactive about cultivating the kind of overflowing joy in your heart that will grow into and translate into a life of sharing that joy. And so I'm calling on everyone in this church to pick one person. One person, one person who is local, that's in your life and does not know Jesus. It could be a friend, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, a classmate. Because there is more joy in heaven over one person who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so I want you to pick one. And here's what I want you to commit to doing, three things. I want you to commit to pray for that person every single day. I want you to commit to invite that person to come to church with you. And experience the fellowship of the people of God. And three, I want you to commit to sharing the gospel with that person some point this year. And so the best thing that you can do today to begin to posture your heart for joy is to begin to pray and ask God, God, who is the one person that you want me to commit to, to pray for, to invite, to share the gospel with, and ask him to lead you to that right person? And then commit to praying for that person daily. Pray that God would soften their heart. Pray that God would give you compassion for them. Pray that God would give you opportunities to share with that person. And so what we want to do is we want to help you commit to pray. And so we have another handout for you. If you hear here last week, we had a handout for you. And this week, we have another one for you. This week, we have a 30-day prayer guide for you. It's a very simple prayer guide for 30 days. It's got a scripture, it's got a prayer that you can pray with blanks for you to insert the name of your one person that you're committed to and some space to journal if you wanna do that. But I want you to commit to picking one person and then pray for them for 30 straight days with their name. And just see if God will grow a compassion in your heart and a burning desire for this person to know Jesus. So we're gonna talk about this in community groups. We're gonna keep preaching on this over the next several weeks, right? I don't want this to be a really nice sermon application and then you know tomorrow we've all forgotten it. So we're gonna keep talking about this. Who is your one person that you're committed to? Who is your one person that you are praying for and that you wanna invite and share with? I mean, just imagine with me for a second. Just imagine with me what God would do If every single person who calls Grace Hill Church, their church home, prayed for one person, they committed to one person for 30 straight days, asking God, God, give me compassion for them. Give me a compassion for them that just far outweighs my fears and my anxieties. God, give me an opportunity to share with them. God, I pray that if I invite them to come to church, that they would be favorable to that idea. What would God do if we began to step out in obedience? You know what I think he would do? I think he would begin to create a church culture here where we share our faith out of an overflowing joy. I think God would honor our obedience and begin to posture our hearts for joy. And guys, that's exactly why we planted this church, so that people will come and know Christ. And that's how we're gonna do it. We're not gonna do it with Instagram ads and Facebook ads. We're not gonna do it by gimmicks. We're not gonna do it by having the best service in town. We're not gonna do it by great facilities. God can save people in a middle school. We're gonna do it by stepping out obedience. We're gonna do it by posturing our hearts for joy. We're gonna do it because we're gonna say, God, we believe that your name deserves to be praised in Northern Virginia, and we want to tell everyone of your salvation. So who's your one person? Let me pray. God, we love you. And God, we want to worship you with our lives. And we praise you because we really do believe you have redeemed us from all of the worthless idols that we put our hope in. In Christ, you have reconciled us to yourself so that, Lord, we can know what true joy is. And so, God, I pray that in our church, you would begin to create a culture here where we naturally share the joy that we have found in you. That one by one, as as we, just each of us, step out in obedience, that, Lord, you would begin to form a joy in us, Lord, where we can't help but share the joy that we have found in you with others. And so, Lord, I pray for us as we begin to think about one person that we wanna commit to. God, would you just in each person, would you just begin to inform their spirit of who you want them to commit to. And God, I pray for each of those people. I pray, Lord, you would put their names in our head in such a way we would not forget that we're committing to them. I pray out of compassion for them, we would get on our knees before you for 30 straight days and pray for this person. I pray, God, that you would give us opportunities that's just it seems uncanny it almost it seems like you're obviously putting each both of us in each other's path so that Lord we just have opportunities to build relationship to share and Lord would you give us courage would you give us courage and compassion for these people and a desire for your glory so that we'll share be with us in this Lord Would you grow your church here in Northern Virginia by people surrendering their lives to you, tasting joy for the first time? In Christ's name, amen.